Every once in a great while, we hit the trifecta. And the trifecta is when the video and the bulletin cover and the sermon are all the same. The bulletin cover of the Lord make you to increase and abound in what? In love. One toward another and toward all men. May the Lord make you abound in love toward one another and not just toward one another in this community called the church, but to all men. We have hit the trifecta. Every school year here at Trinity, we have a major theme. The theme is based on one verse to be found in the Bible. I remember the theme from some years back in my favorite verse, one of them, Ephesians 4.32. And every single morning for 270 days or every long they're in school, every single day, every classroom got up and they said the same thing to begin the day. Ephesians 4.32, they said to each other, here's how we want to be today. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. How's that a way to start the day? 270 students at that time, and they're standing on up, and that's what's coming out of their mouth. Be kind, tender-hearted to your classmates, to your teachers, to your brothers, to your sister, to your mom, and to your dad. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other on this day. Six years ago, Pastor Shower mentioned it last week. Micah 6 a that was the theme for the 270 days of school. Micah 6 a what three things does God require? The students every morning standing up, proclaiming this in their classroom. This is how I want to be with my classmates today. This is how I want to be with my teacher, my parents, my brothers and my sisters, my friends. Here's how I want to be today. I want to act justly. I want to treat them the way I want to be treated. I want to act justly. I want to love showing mercy and compassion. And I want to walk humbly with my God. Justice, mercy, humility. I do not have to be first in line. I do not have to have my name standing out there. I'll bow my head a little bit and I'll do what I need to do to help someone else. I need no applause. I need no title. Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Second Peter 3.18, it was more deep, but it was very effective. Second Peter 3.18 was a theme for a school year. And it says in there, Simon Peter writes, Continue to grow in your knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Continue to grow in your knowledge of Him. What knowledge are we talking about? The fact that first and second graders know that Mary and Joseph were his parents, and that fifth and sixth graders know of uh, his 35 miracles, and they can mention maybe 10 of them. And by seventh and eighth grade, they understand all about the fake trial and why he ended up dying on that cross and the resurrection. Is that the knowledge we're talking about? No. Continue to grow in your knowledge of him. What he is like. Not the facts about him, but what he is like. What has he done in your life? I say it all the time. What has he done in your life that causes you to know him better? 
Was it fate? Was it circumstance? Was it good fortune? Was it bad for a fortune? I've said it a million times. Maybe you're tired of hearing me say it. I'll never stop saying it. The stuff that happened in your life this past week. Did you understand his involvement? Was his divine presence manifesting itself in decisions you had to make, the way you handled circumstances that came? That's what it means to continue to grow in your knowledge of him. Everything he's done to touch your life. This year's theme, powerful. Making disciples for life. Making disciples for life. Trying to figure out that, what that means. I'm working on the sermon. I was, on Monday, I'm sitting there saying, what direction do I take here? So I've decided to do one direction this week and another direction next week. Making disciples for life. What is the text? Matthew 28. Uh, Shower mentioned it last week. Strand mentions it this week. Matthew 28, 18. Jesus, 40 days after his death and resurrection, in a half an hour, he's going to send up into heaven. And he says to his disciples, Go, get off the mountain and go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Two things involved. Baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe what I've commanded you. And they, they sit and say, Jesus, you taught us, you know, a million different things. What are we supposed to teach them? Here's what Jesus said. He said two things. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Let them know that through me, you have abundant life on this earth and everlasting life in heaven. And he taught one other thing. Are you ready? John 13, 33. A new command I give you, that you love one another. By this will all men know you are my disciples, if you show love to others. Even as I have loved you by dying on that cross, you ought to love one another. Though the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward each other and toward all men. Go and make disciples. He doesn't say go and sit around. Just sit around. You need to do more reading and studying, okay? Let's get together with a small group and we'll study more about Jesus and we'll learn more facts about him. Let's come to church on Sunday. Maybe 40 out of 52. Is that sufficient? And let us learn about Jesus. And then we'll come next week and we'll learn some more about Jesus. Okay? He doesn't say go and study some more about me. He says go and make disciples. When the woman at Sychar's well is healed and the emptiness is gone, she's drunk of the living water, what does Jesus say? Why don't you stick around and talk with me for another three or four hours? You go back home. I'll meet you at the well tomorrow. We'll do some more talking. Does he say that? No. He says, go back into the village. Knock on the doors. That's exactly what she did. And she came on out with all of the villagers. And they heard Jesus speak. Don't stay here, woman at Sychar's well. You got work to do. Go into the village. When the demon is cast out of the man in the island of Gadarenes, and he says to Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. I'm going to be number 13. It's an unlucky number, but if I'm with you, it's a lucky. I want to be one of your disciples. And Jesus says, Man of the island Gadarenes, you're going nowhere except to the ten cities that make up the Decapolis. 
and you're going to tell the 10 cities and the 2.2 million people that make up the Decapolis, you're going to tell them about me. You're not going to go and sit and study the Old Testament scriptures so you can quote them like the scribes and Pharisees. You are going to go out and make disciples. Telling them what I have done for you. Go. All the subjects are taught in our school. They teach science in our school. Does a science teacher at the end of the class say, go and make science disciples of all people. Does the history teacher say, go and tell everyone about history. Does the math teacher say, go and tell everyone about math. I don't think so. There is one subject taught in our school that has such an influence on an individual's life that when that subject is taught, they are told, go and tell others. This isn't a subject you're using so you get an A, a B, or a C in my class. This is a subject that influences your life in a way that nothing else can. Get out of here and go and tell others. Leave your small group for that week after the end of the session. Go and tell others. His name is Sheldon. He was a professional baseball player for 10 years. I met him some 10 years ago at LA Fitness. Chatted superficially. Sheldon was there yesterday. Some illness is beginning to creep into his life. And you can tell by the way this 69-year-old man, who was always as healthy as you could ever imagine, you can tell by the look in his eyes and how his body stands that something is beginning to happen. I saw him yesterday. I'm walking in, not really paying attention, and all of a sudden you hear, I hear his booming voice, Pastor! And I'm sitting there saying, Sheldon, you don't have to announce to everyone in the gym that I'm here, okay? Pastor! And so we chatted for a little bit, and, and after my workout, I'm leaving the place, and who's sitting there by the front door? Sheldon is there. And all of a sudden, he's very serious. He says, Pastor, tell me the name of your church again. Tell me where it's located. Tell me what time your services are. Tell me what service I should come to. I want to be there tomorrow. And I pray with all my heart that he is here at 11 o'clock at Reveal. Why? Because I believe the message is for him. Making disciples for what you face in life. Making disciples for what you face in life. Jesus said, John 10.10, He said, I have come for two reasons. Number one, that you might have abundant life on this earth. What's abundant life? It's the life that you have with Him contrary to not having Him. We wait a lot on this earth. You know, Ken and Donna are waiting to go to Florida tomorrow. And Kurt is waiting to have his surgery tomorrow. 
and some man whose name I shall not mention is, is waiting to have a bone marrow test on Tuesday, and Joshua waiting for his surgery on the 23rd. We're waiting all the time. Hillary was here. She's going to have a baby in two weeks. I was a little bit nervous when she came up to the communion rail, okay? I saw her wince a little bit, and I said, oh, no, don't start now, okay? We're always waiting on this earth. If you're waiting without Him, how's your life? If you're waiting without Him, how is your life? You're waiting for something good to happen, but you don't have Him, and that whole divine essence is not part of your joy. And if you have something going on, the test results are going to come back on Thursday, and this, that, and the other. If you have something going on, If you don't have Him, the darkness creeps in far too deeply. If you do have Him, you have little rays of light. You still have fear, it's human nature, but the fear is interrupted by His light. I know that He is with me. That's why we sang the song we did for the sermon hymn. Even when the storms come, I know that He is with me. Making disciples for the facing of life. Who's our opponent in life? Guy's name is Satan. He's our adversary. He's our challenger. Listen carefully when I tell you, he does not want you to be one of his disciples. He does not want you to be one of his disciples. He's got all the demons. He's got a third of the angels in heaven that followed him down to hell. Why doesn't he want you to be one of his disciples? Because you are made in the image of God. He doesn't want you as a disciple. He wants to destroy you. Destroy you, destroy your marriage, destroy your job, destroy your children. He wants to destroy you. That's your adversary. Making disciples for the facing what life brings. The relationships, the finances, the death of a loved one, your own health issues as you get older. Making disciples so you have some armor as you face life. That's what this theme is about. What type of armor? Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. We covered it this past fall. One of the lessons during our 12-week study on prayer. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12. Put on all the armor of God because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestle against the spiritual power who is not good. He is absolute evil. Jesus said about him, he's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And he wishes not a single ounce of good for you. That's your adversary. Put on all the armor of God. What armor are we talking about? The armor they used in the, in the old days. The 55 to 60 pound pieces of armor that you could barely move in. Is that the armor? No. First Samuel 17, David goes out to face Goliath, right? And Saul says, you know, you can't do that. And by the time the spirit had involved himself, Saul is saying, yeah, I guess you can. But you need my armor. 
And David puts on Saul's armor and he couldn't move an arm or a leg. He says, take off the armor. Saul says, you can't go against him without some armor. David says, I have armor. Saul says, I don't see it. And David said, I have the Lord God Almighty. And when he goes out into the valley, Goliath sits and says, how dare you mock me? He must not have seen the slingshot because he said, you come out against me with a stick? You mock me. And then he says, here's what I'm going to do to you. So here's David, and he's fighting Goliath with a spear in his hand as big as a small fir tree, and a shield in his hand as big as a small, uh, as a small barn door. And when uh, Goliath mocks him, David says, I have an armor you cannot see. I have the Lord God Almighty. And you shall fall, Goliath, and I shall take your head, and all of Philistia shall bow down to my God. That's the armor you have. That's why I hope Sheldon is here at 11 o'clock. I want to tell him about this armor. And whatever you are facing this week, as his disciple, you have that armor. Sat and wondered the other day when David is writing the 23rd Psalm, which many theologians believe he wrote at the end of his life. I sat and wondered if he is thinking 60 years earlier, when he's 15 years of age, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what Goliath was. He was the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walked through that valley, I fear no evil, for God is with me. Why are these students, 248 students, why are they taught about the Lord? So that when life comes to them, they have his weapons. Why do you come to worship? So Pastor Sauer and myself can share with you, here's the weapons you have making disciples as you face life. Let me tell you about three of the pieces of armor and then I'm done. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12, put on all the armor of God. His word is the belt of truth you put around your waist. It's the sword of the Spirit, His word. His word. Jesus said, Luke 21, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away, because as long as you're on this earth, you shall need that armor of my word. What's so powerful about his word tells you about him. It tells you about all the promises he's given you. If making, your, making disciples for your life, if right now you're filled with fear, Deuteronomy 31.6, do not be afraid or tremble. Lord, your God is with you. If you committed some sin a month ago that you say that's going to haunt me for the rest of my life, you have Psalm 103.12. That sin has already been forgiven. You ask God to forgive you. It's already forgiven. Cast away as far as east is from the west. If you've lost a loved one, he tells you 153 times in the Bible, you're going to see him again. You're going to see your baby again. You're going to see your son again. You're going to see wife again. See your husband again. See your mom and dad again. 
You're going to see your sister again. You're going to see your daughter again. 153 times the weapon of his word. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, that's coming right around the corner first Sunday in Lent. When he's tempted in the wilderness, what weapon did he have? Did he have a sword that one of his disciples gave him? Did he have a slingshot and is going to nail Satan in the head? What weapon did he have? He had God's word. And whenever Satan tempted him, here was the word of God thrown right in Satan's face and Satan had to leave him alone. That's the weapon you and I have. That's the weapon. That man at L.A. Fitness, bankruptcy, child ill, going through a divorce. He didn't have this weapon seven months ago. Now he has this weapon. He knows about God and what God does. What's your other weapon? Your other weapon is faith. How powerful is faith? Matthew 17, 20. If your faith is small, so small you need a microscope to see it. If it's that small, you say to whatever mountain God, uh, Satan has put in your life, some addiction, some fear, some cancer, some dementia, some divorce, some financial debt, whatever mountain Satan has put in your life, if you have that tiny faith, you can say to that mountain, move, and it will move. First Peter 1.5, you and I are kept on this earth by the power of God through faith unto salvation. What's the last weapon you have? His word, faith. What's the last weapon you have? Fold your hands and bow your head. What's the last weapon you have? It's prayer. When he closes that section of Ephesians 6, five times in two verses, he says, pray and pray and pray and pray for me and pray for all the saints and pray without ceasing. Pray, pray, pray. Sermon on the Mount, we read it as part of the gospel. Jesus starts his ministry by saying, do the impossible. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. And then he ended by saying, you must be perfect. Are you kidding me, Jesus? You start your ministry by saying, you must be perfect. And then right after Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus is literally saying, you cannot do this on your own. Ask Whatever you want from God, you receive it. Seek whatever you need from God in the realm of peace. Lord, get rid of this fair man that's crippling me. Give me some direction here, Lord. I don't know where to go. Seek and ye shall find. How do you seek? Prayer. Knock on God's door and it'll be opened. How do you knock on his door? You pray. That's all for this week. That's all. Making disciples for the facing of life. And when you have him and you have his power to face life, then you got to be like the woman at Sychar's well. you got to tell someone else In our Savior's name.
Amen. Heavenly Father, your word has such power, but our human nature blocks it, and Satan blocks it. May your spirit carve a deep channel that leads from your throne into my heart, past the ear, past the brain, past the human nature, straight into my heart. And when it's hit my heart, then the transformation can occur, and I shall be your disciple when I face what life brings hand in hand with you. And when I'm your disciple, then that news shall be delivered to others in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.